0: able to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks. We talk all about the Fed decision and what impacts that might have on regional banks. We also turn our attention to the labor market and earning season. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement listeners should seek professional advice for their situation welcome to the mckenzie investments podcast my name is matthew schner and i'm delighted to be here with our chief investment officer of equities leslie marks leslie welcome back
1: thank you great to be here there's so much to talk about matt
0: isn't there? Uh, Markets are certainly dynamic always, uh, but uh, particularly now it feels like. Um, Maybe we get started with uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, That's often the basis for uh, all sorts of things uh, to deal with markets. Uh, The Fed, uh, as largely was uh, predicted, hiked by 25 basis points. love to give your thoughts on uh, what this means for the cycle. Are they done hiking for the cycle or, or what do you think the future holds?
1: Well, I think this is a really important topic to start out our discussion today because um, you know normally the threat of a recession would lead the central banks to start easing monetary policy. And as, as you noted, last week we had another 25 basis point increase. Um, now the reason being uh, why we're in a bit of a different situation today is because inflation is still running pretty hot and we think that they're going to overall be slower to cut rates and wait for clear signals from the inflation data. Last week, uh, Powell, he emphasized that there was a long way to go before inflation goals were reached, and just to quote him, he said, inflationary pr- pressures continue to run high, and it will take time to restore price stability. So here we are, uh, likely... Um, experiencing a pause in increases. I think that was well uh, broadcast in in the commentary. And um, really, when you think about the backward-looking data, it actually doesn't really support a pause. But I do think that the regional banking crisis has weighed heavily on the decision here. And by his own admission, Chairman Powell said, we have a broad understanding of monetary policy but credit tightening is a different thing.
0: Interesting. Maybe we would pick up on the regional bank uh, comment that you, that you made. Um, there's, I guess, mixed views on the depth of this crisis or where we are uh, within it. Uh, Jamie Dimon, for example, uh, did say that the uh, sort of the regional banking crisis is over. Uh, is he just talking his own book, or do you think that there's uh, other legs or other shoes to drop?
1: Well, I think it's it's a bit of both, actually, all of the above. <laughs> I think that Jamie is talking his own book and he's really trying to break the cycle. Um you know, he's basically saying um if depositors regain confidence then stability will resume. And although we know we have support for deposits, um let, let's just take a step back to uh you know, the events of the last week with with First Republic. So right. it was when they announced their earnings that that really set off another round of bank angst and um you know they they basically stole the title of the second biggest bank in the US to fail away from silicon valley bank and the banking uh, the regional banking index was off 7% last week and and that all sort of started with them reporting their earnings and disclosing that deposits had declined by 100 billion dollars so of course we know what happened the regulators seized the assets they negotiated a transaction with uh, JP Morgan, who will then assume all of First Republic's deposits and assets, and so it's it's a domino effect when when people start to get fearful and there's a run on um, the bank, the proverbial run on the bank, and, and people start to pull deposits. Um, that's when the market starts to get anxious about the future of the regional bank. So, could that happen with other regional banks? Sure, it could. So, as I said. Uh, Diamond is just trying to break that cycle. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is we shouldn't underestimate the impact of bank consolidation on um, both on, on borrowers, whether they're consumer or commercial borrowers. And higher concentration in the banking sector is going to lead to, um, you know, higher costs to borrow um, for a borrower. So that that's an important impact that i think we need to take that back to the first question which is really about um Powell and this idea that the market is pricing in a few rate cuts towards the end of the year right but i think that that is is a, is a long way off because i think if the data supported a pause the backward looking data supported a pause that would be the case but because this is more a- about credit and availability of credit and financial conditions being tighter, um, I don't think that there is a basis for rate cuts just yet. Um, The economy still looks like it's doing pretty well in spite of the fact that we're experiencing um, the fastest policy rate increases that we have for 40 years.
0: Just to, to follow up on that, If the regional banking crisis continues to expand and more and more banks come under pressure, do you think that acts as a catalyst to perhaps cut uh, either to market expectations or maybe even beyond market expectations in the back half of the year? Or is he fixated on inflation and therefore higher for longer?
1: So I think that we have been able to sustain the crisis thus far in the sense that the economy hasn't really shown any major impact on labor or inflation well we're going to see cpi on wednesday so we'll we'll have a good sense but certainly in job with respect to jobs so i think that it would take a lot It, it would really take significant contagion for us to move from rate increases to pause to cut so this is the proverbial um pivot and in fact um You know, the Fed's next meeting is middle of June, June 14th, um, is the next rate decision date. And I personally don't think that um, even though they've broadcast that they're on pause, that a hike could be ruled out. That's not the consensus view. But if the bank stress stabilizes and labor markets continue to remain tight and inflation is elevated, it's not a 0% chance that that happens.
0: Great. So maybe you you mentioned uh, labor being a really important condition that the Fed's going to be narrowing in on. Uh, Give me your view on the labor market right now. Are you starting to see any softening Um, given the the hikes you'd expect uh, softening to happen? But we really haven't seen that. Is there any indication that uh, that's filtering through?
1: Yeah. So the labor market has been incredibly resilient. And if we were having this conversation on Thursday, I would say, yes, we're seeing signs. But since we're having this conversation today on Monday, after the non-farm uh, payroll report for April, which was extraordinarily strong, um, I'm going to say that we the labor market is very strong right now. So non-farm payrolls increased over 250,000 in April. Expectations were for 185,000. Average hourly earnings increased 0.5%. Expectations were 0.3%. And unemployment is sitting at 3.4% in the U.S. So it's hard to say that the jobs market is is softening. Um, The only piece of data or indication, there's probably two things that would indicate some level of softness. The first one is um, that March data was revised lower. So April could be revised lower as well. So there's, there's an accuracy Issue here, So that in some sense says, okay, maybe labor isn't as strong as the early reports. And then the second piece of data was um, earlier last week, which is the job openings data, which actually continue to fall. And, mm-hmm. and that's important because that's sort of a sense of um, future hiring. And some people have even written about these sort of job postings being ghost postings. So they're postings, but they're not really real jobs. Nevertheless, um, the uh, job openings data has um, fallen from, I think it peaked around 12 million to below uh, 10 million. The thing that is really interesting about the jobs market and that I think is partly driving the jobs market, even in the face of what we've seen as so many um, layoffs announced, is that because the job market is so tight, Productivity is weakening, and that's very normal. That once you get to sort of the marginal worker, and you're hiring people that you know maybe you might not have hired otherwise, because unemployment is at such a low level, um, you're seeing a, a really a, a significant decline in productivity. Which means you need this you need more workers to do the same amount of work. So. That's another factor that is really weighing on the jobs market and maybe making it look stronger than it is that you need more workers. And then the last point that sort of feeds into the robustness of the job market is wage growth, which is still in around the four and a half to 5% range. Now, the craziest thing about the jobs report of last Friday, so April jobs number, was the equity market reaction, which was basically to rip higher. And so this is the scenario where good news was actually good news for equities. And I think under normal conditions, the equity market would not have liked this jobs report because it would have forced the Fed to be more hawkish. But given the Fed's admission that they're willing to turn a blind eye to inflation and the tight to to, to the inflationary forces of, of tight labor because of the stress in the banking system. Um, we think that this is where good news became good news because of the messaging that came two days before from the fed, which is we want to wait and see. So the market is basically saying the fed has made their decision. They're not going to move because of, um, tight labor markets and high inflation. So, It's okay.
0: And your your forward-looking view, I guess, on labor. So um, it's surprising how resilient the the labor labor market is. I think most people would agree on that. Um, But to your point uh, with the regional banking crisis, consolidation of banks, higher cost of borrowing, credit standards going up in general, um, do you expect this to have a fairly uh, significant impact on labor market or can it continue to defy expectations?
1: Well, I think it really starts with the economy. And it sort of starts with some basic principles, which are, if you, if you want to buy something, you have to fund that. So no matter what that is, if you're a company that wants to buy something, if you're an individual. And so funding, you're either taking it from savings, so you're drawing down um, a deposit in your account, right. um, which takes away from purchasing power into the future, or you borrow to do that whatever that um, consumption is. So borrowing continues to be more expensive than it was a year ago. And with consolidation is likely to become more expensive with less lenders means that there's more power from um, the banks. And also um, this is how, you know, in higher cost environment, this is the only way that they can boost margins by charging you more for what you're, Uh, for for your lending or for your borrowing. So when you take all of that um, together, that says that overall demand has to fall. It's sort of basic math. It's just, we've had this, I think, extraordinary time in our lifetime with the pandemic that has caused people to behave differently than they would otherwise. They would have already started responding to the higher cost of lending, if they hadn't just been through two years of a lockdown where they couldn't do all the things that they love to do. And so I think it's just, we are in an extraordinary time. It's going to take a longer time for people to adjust to the changing in the backdrop or conditions. And eventually that will find its way into the labor market, you know, the, the the places where we're seeing the large layoffs are not, even though they're big numbers, they're not the biggest employers in the sure. country. Like technology is not a labor intensive business. So when right. you hear 10,000 jobs out of one employer, but they've added, you know, a hundred thousand in the last two years, it's almost immaterial, but it sounds like a big headline number. So when you add it all up, it hasn't really had the big impact that we would have expected yet on the labor market.
0: That's great. Uh, maybe we'll turn now to earnings, um, and uh, we're just, uh, I guess, uh, nearly through the the earnings season. Um, to my mind, at least, uh, earnings have come in fairly uh, robustly, uh, especially considering um, you know all the conversations that uh, that uh, people have had about the the outlook for. Um, markets and and that earnings are, are likely to weaken this year. Um, what's your view on earnings? And you share, uh, I guess, my surprise and optimism?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think um, your surprise and optimism is well-placed. Um, when you look at the data, um, FactSet collects all of the earnings data. And um, they cited that almost 80% of S&P 500 companies have beat expectations the season. So you're right to say it's been a stronger season. Um, I think the average overall or the aggregate decline in earnings has been in the 2 to 3% range. Um, expectations in aggregate were in the 5 to 6% range. So that just gives you a sense of magnitude. So it's still a negative year-over-year earnings um, print, but not as negative as, as expected. Um, we've also seen the heavyweights Um, like Apple and Amazon and Microsoft, all surpassing expectations. And they're also perpetuating some of the heavy concentration of returns that we've seen in the S&P 500. So um, for me, I I always look at, and, and I know we always talk about, we always have a discussion in earnings season, but I always look for a few key data points to be sort of a tell for the bigger picture. And interestingly enough, um, the positive data has been fairly broad based across the larger companies in the technology sector, consumer discretionary and communication services. So uh, my data isn't really localized in, in a few data points. So that's a really healthy sign. Um, but what, one thing I thought was interesting was, you know, Apple reported their results just at the end of last week. Um They beat expectations on a surprise gain in iPhone sales in India. And I think that this is an example of um, a bullish sign for consumer spending in emerging markets. So there's lots of things that are pointing to strength in in the economy here in North America, but we're also seeing uh, strength in in emerging markets. Um, We saw great stability from companies like Facebook Parent Meta. They had very strong Earnings, a uh, very strong earnings report, and they reported their first sales increase in over a year. Um, Meta has been really struggling, and so the market really liked to see the, the turn of events. And if you just sort of take a step back for a moment, the technology sector is important because it was the greatest beneficiary, uh, top line growth that is um, in 2020 and 2021, and and those companies were the first to experience softness in demand. Um, because there was so much demand sort of borrowed from the future and that really boosted top line growth. So 2022 was a very difficult year. I think what's been amazing is how quickly, you know, these companies have been the first to recover in 2023. So I think overall the optimism around earnings has been well placed in those sectors, consumer discretionary communication services and technology.
0: And what's your view on earnings sort of uh, going forward for the back half of the year? I remember at the beginning of the year or heading in there, uh, you had thought earnings would uh, decline um, throughout the year. Um, you know, Are you still thinking that you'll see uh, a continued decline in earnings or accelerating decline in early earnings or are you more optimistic for the back half of the year as well?
1: So I think that we will continue to see pretty good momentum in the sectors that I mentioned because- they, um, as I said, experienced the downturn in earnings the earliest. They reacted quickly, right-sizing their um, uh, staffing and also even culling um, non-profitable businesses. So it's very quick for technology companies to either exit um, something that burns a lot of cash or sell off or, you know, focus on their Core businesses. So that's that's a lot of what we've seen. So I actually think that um, that has moved more quickly to the positive than we thought. And I think what is going to be challenging in the second half of the year are some of the more cyclical sectors like energy and financials, because the year over year commodity prices are going to prove to be a bit of a headwind for energy specifically. And I think financials, because of everything that's happening in the financial sector related right. to this credit crunch, are um, will experience a bit of a dislocation and um, a demand decline. So I think that there are, and those are big sectors, particularly in Canada. Um, so I think what we could see is a very mixed picture when it comes to earnings in the back half of the year. You know, with winners and and, and losers, and so. Um, it's it's going to be for, for the investor. They're going to have to be really mindful of the sectors that they invest in, and that will get masked in the aggregate um, outlook for a market. Because you have a market like sure. the S and P 500, where you have these big tech heavyweights, which have really been driving performance. I think that something like eighty to ninety percent of the returns year to date have been driven by five stocks. In Canada, we have a much more diversified um, benchmark in some sense in that we don't have that heavy concentration of five names, but we're more concentrated in sectors, energy and financials being the two that could have um, headwinds. So I think Canada, while a very inexpensive market, has some earnings momentum challenges for the next six months.
0: Perfect. Why don't we call it there? Uh, I appreciate you uh, sitting down. Your take on the markets. uh, Much appreciated.
1: Great to be here once again, Matt. Thank you for having me.
0: The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions.